You are listening to The Cycling Podcast. Hello and joining you on December the 5th, 2023, a date marking the 50th anniversary of Paul McCartney releasing his legendary Band on the Run album. McCartney, whose late wife Linda, of course, put her name to a range of vegetarian foodstuffs. And for a couple of seasons, a professional cycling team whose star riders included the lapsed vegetarian Max Chandry, as Max recalled for us a few years ago. No, I mean, unfortunately, we had a lot of stuff. And, uh, you know, I didn't have a freezer, like, you know, to, to keep, like, 30 kilos of uh, of packages of uh, Linda McCartney food so I mean you know you kept a few of them in the store in, the, in your freezer you gave a few of them around and then at the end of the day it's like the rest is like uh, I gave it to El Perro <laughs> he liked it the first uh, week or so and then he's like uh, well I'm a dog and I'm not vegetarian <laughs> My name is Daniel Freeber and I'm the host of this episode of the Cycling Podcast, the main meal of which will be a very meaty discussion with some big game of the international peloton. As was the case a few weeks ago with our feature-length Theo Gagan-Hart interview, we're going to dispense with the usual news roundup so that we can get to the juicy bit more quickly. I will just inform those who don't know that the Cyclocross World Cup had its latest round the weekend and Ellie Isabet took the men's race and Lucinda Brandt the women's. As far as the road is concerned, there's not too much to report with most World Tour teams gathering this week. And next, for training camps on the Costa Blanca, where I currently am in Mallorca. But we have learned in the past couple of days that Italian rider Davide Cimolai has called off his retirement to join Movistar. And that Movistar stalwart Imanol Erviti's retirement plan is, was a DS role with Ineos Grenadiers, as hinted in last week's episode. A new face in the team car won't be the only change at Ineos next year, and indeed a certain upheaval or reset at the British team has been a bit of a theme of our podcast in recent weeks. Last month, we had that interview with Theo Gagan-Hart, who's leaving the team with which he'd spent his whole pro career. And a week after that, we reflected on the shock news that Rod Ellingworth was leaving his position as deputy team principal. This week, we have a date with another individual in the British Outfit's departure lounge. The longtime cycling podcast Grand Tour diarist and soon-to-be UAE Team Emirates freshman Pavel Sivakov. This will be the 26-year-old's second big shift in two seasons. In 2022, he officially switched nationality from the land of his parents' birth, Russia, to the country where he was raised and to which he felt the strongest allegiance, France. Sivakov was once rated the best under-23 rider in the world and touted as a future Tour de France winner. That prophecy hasn't yet been fulfilled, but he is coming off the best campaign of his pro career to date. And in particular, a late summer in which his results in one-day races underlined his status as one of the strongest and perhaps upwardly mobile riders in the World Tour bunch. Pavel is currently training for 2024 on the Costa Blanca, and it was from there that he patiently fielded my questions about a range of topics from um, space travel to identity, sense of belonging, and of course, Tadej Pogacar. You'll hear all of that in just a second after a quick word from Lionel. Shoot. 
minutes, shoot à l'arrière du peloton, cycling podcast team car, the back of the pack, please. That's Seb Piquet again to remind me to tell you that this episode is also sponsored by NordVPN. And NordVPN has a fantastic offer for all of our listeners who want to increase their online security. Go to NordVPN slash TCP. And every purchase of a plan, whether the standard, plus or complete plan, comes with a bonus four months access to the NordVPN service on top. The best value plan out of interest is the two year plan. And if you get one of those, you'll get an extra four months as well. As long as you go to NordVPN slash TCP. It's an exclusive offer for our listeners and it's risk free because Nord offers a 30 day money back guarantee. So if you sign up and find it's not for you, you can cancel and get a full refund. I'm pretty confident that when you see the bonuses that come with a NordVPN plan, that's the ability to protect your internet connection at home and on the move on up to six devices, you'll quickly realise that it doesn't slow down your internet connection either. You can protect yourself from hackers and viruses and anything else that risks your security when you're on the internet. And when you're travelling abroad, you can log on as if you're at home and continue to watch your favourite shows or sports on your streaming services. Make sure you go to NordVPN slash TCP to find out more and sign up and get that bonus four months extra cover on top of the plan you choose. So as promised... Joining me, it's El Siv, as we've called him on occasion at the Vuelta España, the Siv Manort. I didn't really want to revisit this. Well, it became a bit of a meme and caused a lot of mirth a few years ago when I miscalculated the distance that Pavel had climbed in a season. And I think I made a simple mistake, Pavel, didn't I? I, I mixed up kilometres and metres. You had done a lot of climbing. This is why we were talking about it. It struck me that of professional cyclists, among professional cyclists, you're someone who climbs a lot in their training rides. And I thought that you'd climb the equivalent of the distance from the Earth to the Moon. Um, it would have taken several multiples of what you'd climb to get to the Moon. However, and this caused people, as I said, a lot of... Well, there was a lot of fun at my expense. Yes, it's it's a while since we've revisited said meme. Um, it, was, it was funny for a while and then we, we sort of kept getting comments about it kept getting sort of jokes at your expense my expense um for a few for a few years thereafter however we've revived it i've revived it for the intro- introduction to this podcast pavel let's start on that note in a minute elevation the amount that you in particular like to climb on training rides because it is it's significant i think um but first of all tell us where you are and how are you so yeah, I'm I'm good. Thanks thanks for the, the great introduction, Daniel. I always actually kind of enjoy. I'm uh, I'm an avid listener of the the cycling podcast, so I always enjoy uh, listening to this. Uh, I'm all good, all good. Currently in uh, in Javier, uh, near on the Costa Blanca, if I'm not mistaken, near near Calpe. Doing well, starting to build for for the new season upcoming. Obviously, looking forward to it. It's going to be a big change for me this off season. It's, it's already been, to be honest. Just getting back into into that new routine after after some three weeks off. So, Pavel, you're already well. You're already on the Costa Blanca. Is that in anticipation of your new team's training camp in, which will start, I guess, in a few days? Yeah, it's um, obviously it's it's in anticipation. Um, I also didn't want to to train, you know, um, in cold weather in Andorra. I started there, obviously, uh, after after my little break, after the holidays. But uh, it's always easier mentally and physically, you know, to train in good weather. Um, last year, 
me and Lawrence, the plus we went to, to Gran Canaria. We tried to do it again this year, but yeah, obviously we had different schedules, so we couldn't find time to do that. But I'm, I'm here now on Costa Blanca. It's always uh, nice, I think, to, um, you know, mentally when you, you train in good weather in the winter, um, yeah, you're just more fresh than going out in uh, minus digits temperature mm. every day and, and being cold. So yeah, my, my, my girlfriend, uh, is with me here, so it's really kind of relaxed atmosphere. So I really like to to start uh, the prep like this. And Pavel, you are by no means you the only rider, world tour rider, who's already training and training quite hard. And this is something that's changed quite a lot over the years. I don't know. I mean, your dad, of course, was a professional cyclist, and we'll maybe come on to that later. But back in his day, and we're not talking about that long ago. We're talking about the sort of nineties. It was very common to read interviews with riders where they would say. I'm getting on my bike again just before Christmas. And these were guys sometimes who had big goals early in the season. But it strikes me that every year now, um, that that start date for all of you guys is getting earlier and earlier. Yeah, I think so. I think the, the cycling definitely changed. Like if you take these days, like you say, actually, I remember um, uh, Kiri, Vasil Kirienka was even doing a little bit this, like he carried it on when he was still in the team in Sky. And I remember like he would just jump on the bike maybe one week before the training camp. And he was just like, we would ask him, what, what do you do in the, like, what did you do before to come on camera? I was just, ah, just running, going to the gym, like that old fashioned training. And um, yeah, then he would just, yeah, get in shape quite quick, to be honest. He, he He's a massive engine. So... Uh, yeah, it was always funny to see, but yeah, I, I agree that now cycling has changed and even speaking to the older riders, you know, uh, these older, the, um, also the racing, I think the biggest difference is that the racing is so competitive from, from the first day. Mm -hmm. Like if you want to, if you want to be up there, you have to be ready. You have to, to train hard in the winter because there is all these young guys who are super motivated. They come and we all have to follow that. Yeah. I think it starts already by being maybe a little bit more focused in the winter, but at the same time, you don't want to squeeze it too much because the seasons are, are also really long and really demanding. I think now is like that balance is something uh, really crucial to find for, for a successful season, but also successful career. So it strikes me that you guys enjoy it more than maybe your your dad's generation. And this is maybe, maybe I'm mistaken about this, but when I see, you know, when I see social media content and when I hear you guys talking about whether it's going running or getting back on your bike in November and December, well, the team leader that you will spend some time with in the coming months, Tade Pogacar, for example, when you see him riding his bike, it looks as though he just can't wait to get back on his bike. It's almost a sacrifice for him not to be on his bike in the winter yeah no i agree also i can see it with myself to be honest you know i had three weeks off and by the end i i enjoyed my time off but i was also really excited to get back on the bike this is something i love i think i think even like maybe these these generations you know they were like oh, okay we need to, we maybe need this is necessary to take a lot of time off the bike over the bike but if if it's something we enjoy you, you can yeah, you can have a bit less or, or whatever, but I think it depends on the, the personality of each rider. There is still now some riders who maybe 
enjoy like having a bit more time off. I would say in general, like everyone loves sports and will always do something in the off season, you know, but I, I agree with you. I was really looking forward to start back to that routine. You know, it's, it's actually for me, the off season is you're out of that routine and it, it's a weird feeling. You're like kind of a bit lost, especially the first week you, you lost a bit all your markers, you know, you don't have that, Yeah, you don't have to train, you don't have to, to do anything, you can basically do whatever you want. And this is great, I think, uh, to, to experience it. But I also, I'm also one of them guys who, who loves it, who loves the routine. I love to train. I, I, I really, I really enjoy, you know, uh, prepping for a season for races. We'll talk in a minute about measuring elevation. But another thing, Pavel, that strikes me is that with the sort of, I mean, not only do you guys have wearables, but you have much more advanced training metrics and and ways of measuring things. But also now you see clearly before your eyes how much and how quickly you're losing fitness. And for some people, that might be psychologically quite difficult for some riders that they, you know, they see the sort of graph going down and whether it's, I don't know, training peaks or whatever. That can sort of feed a kind of addiction, I suppose. An addiction to being fit and a dislike of losing fitness must be i think maybe for some guys who really like into the numbers but personally mm. I, I i don't look at training peaks or the fitness mm. changing in the off season it's more it's even more about uh like just feeling good you know just an overall healthy feeling and i think that's also what changed you know there is not only in cycling but everywhere like people are pushing for healthier lifestyles and it's something you know you, it's just on a day-to-day -day basis is is much better. Like you, you know, after a night out or something, you always feel terrible. And actually, yeah, it's not what you want. You, I enjoy also feeling healthy, and I think uh, all of us do. And maybe that's also one one reason. But like you say, I think must got some guys must like yeah must look at that and think oh maybe I'm getting fit. But I, I think that's a bit too obsessional. I think this is not maybe that healthy. You know, to think that mm -hmm. way. Because you also, you have to know how to let the metrics go. Because even even in the season, if you look too much at the metrics, you know, on some ground tour days, maybe you have a crucial day. And you if you if you look at it, you know, like, oh, today I'm going to be, I'm going to be dropped. This is, this is not right. You know, it's also, you have to, you have to know how to in interpret it, um, mm -hmm. all that. And um yeah, I think that's that's what I was saying about balance, and that's that's part of it, you know, to to try and really switch off all all, all that stuff and just uh, just uh, try try and do everything by feel more than by numbers. Pavel, I I promised we'd return to the subject of your well elevation gain and would crunch some of your numbers. I have been looking at some of your numbers, and well, you can confirm to me in a minute um, whether among all the other miscalculations I made in that um, infamous podcast a couple of years ago, whether actually you are someone who relative to other riders, it climbs a lot in training. But I'll just give you just um, some of your numbers. This year, you've actually climbed a little bit less. Um, 508,000 meters, not kilometers, as compared to 535,000 last year. A bit more in 2021, even more, five. Um, 160,000 meters and even more than that in 2020 so you you're going down you're going downhill Pavel um but actually 
I was going to say to you as well that, um, well, it's common for the guys in Andorra, I noticed that you all have to climb a lot because anyone who's been to Andorra knows there's basically one valley road on which you can do any kind of sort of work on the flat. Otherwise, it's all climbing. Um, another guy who lives in Andorra, the, the, the one who I see that possibly climbs more than you, and in fact, looking at the numbers he does, is Robert Haysink. Um, he regularly... Mm, clocks up 600 or almost 600,000 meters a year are you someone among your peers among your fellow pros teammates who maybe climbs more than the others i don't think so i don't think so yeah robert is definitely he he loves to train he's actually speaking speaking just speaking of robert i think he's one of the, you know these that them guys who just loves the bike so much and he can ride it all year round so mm. and like yeah, he climbs a lot. But no, I wouldn't say I climb more than everyone. And actually, you said um, that I'm decreasing. I just think, honestly, I, I do think I train less, like, in terms of volume as well. Um, I, I did train less uh, the last couple of years, I think. Mm-hmm. So that, that might be one of the reasons that I, that I have less, less climbing, actually. Uh, but no, I think I, I don't... I never... I never... F- think actually about the elevation I need to climb on a day I just make a, a route you know that that I quite like and works well mm. with my my training of the day and never really yeah take into account the elevation I mean well as you say as when you live in Andorra like you you have to climb and mm. yeah doing more it doesn't mean like you it's better for you or yeah it's it's never something set in my training it's more like just take it how it comes it is interesting how much it varies between pros, though. Obviously, um, it varies according to where people live as well and also what kind of rider they are. But, you know, as we're looking at a couple of other riders' stats and, you know, someone like Rick Zabel, who is a completely different kind of rider, he's more of a classics rider and um, doesn't live in Andorra, um, spends most of his time near Cologne, if I'm not mistaken. And he climbed, for example, this year less than 200,000 metres, so about, well well under half of what you climb and i suppose that just reflects well it reflects the difference of disciplines within a discipline uh, in professional cycling there are different sports within world tour racing i suppose aren't there but um pavel you in the mountains you grew up um at the foot of the pyrenees effectively in near Saint-Gordin in the Pyrenees um do you have a particularly sort of deep kind of bond and um attachment to the mountains have you always felt that and and is that now nourished by you living in Andorra I never thought about it actually but I'm, I'm pretty sure I do you know I can't I can't see myself living uh somewhere flat like that would be yeah that would be yeah quite boring i would say you know it's i love the mountains and as you say i grew up near but near them yeah it just that gives you I, I don't know when you're in the mountains this is kind of you know especially in the pyrenees uh there is some of them roads where you kind of on your own uh there is no cars super quiet almost you know it's kind of yeah <laughs> meditation that sounds a bit uh yeah, it'd be weird, but it's that feeling that, you know, that the, the mountains can give you. Yeah, just kind of detached, you're in the moment. Uh, I think it's really, you know, the only time of the day where, or like, 
in my life where I can be in the moment, you know, you don't think about any anything around, like you, you think about your training, you think about your ride, and you don't think about what's what's coming next, you don't think about anything else. And yeah, for me, it's really, you know, when, when I'm in the mountains, when my, I'm, a, I'm doing a ride or even an effort, you know, it, it's really probably the, the only yeah time where I can just focus on, on the moment and definitely something, yeah, because of the maybe the slower speed you go as well will be different on the flat just mm. by, yeah, maybe focusing more on the road and all that kind of stuff. There is mm. just like you and your body and pushing bit of suffering and no it's 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 a great feeling being in the mountains definitely what i enjoy the most on on the bike also by being by sort of elevating yourself above well the rest of kind of civilization the rest of normal mundane life i suppose people can feel it's a it's a way of gaining a bit of mental clarity and kind of leaving some of you know everything that they associate all the negative things they associate with kind of everyday life behind yeah, you're just going there and then you, you see this normal life, maybe some, if you have a good lookout point, you know, at the top of the mountain, you can see them down there. Yeah, it's always a great feeling. I think um, with cycling, not always because sometimes the passes, you know, are, or like the, the calls or however people call them, you know, it's not, there is not always a good lookout point. But I think when you hike at the top of a mountain, it's even more that you can see um people people down there the, the the villages the towns and yeah it's a great feeling of kind of freedom you know being detached from the the day-to-day -day life from the problems you may have on a day-to-day -day basis what pavel is your first memory of being in the mountains because you said you can't imagine not living close to the mountains but you were born somewhere very flat you were born on the Adriatic coast effectively in Italy in San Donati Piave because your father was riding for an Italian team I guess but then um, you were pretty young when you moved to the mountains and the Pyrenees more or less where you stayed what's your first memory uh, actually it's not it's not in the Pyrenees surprisingly because when we use like um, so I'm born in San Donati Piave and when I was one we moved to France and we were staying living uh, near Paris, like 50k from Paris, south. And uh, there was like um, a good, good friends of the family, um, like all the people who like helped my, my mom and dad to, to integrate in France. He, they were helping the team and all, all that kind of stuff. So they became good friends of the family and they had like a little chalet in uh, Saint-Jean-de-Sixte near uh, Le Grand Bornand, La Clusat. Okay. Uh, it's it's a uh, yeah common area for for the tour or the Dauphiné to pass there. So um, that would be my first memories of the of the mountains in the Alps there. Um, yeah, just the snow back in the days. I remember it used to snow much more than now. Uh, quite a lot of snow. Uh, that's where I learned skiing, and we used to go until I was eight, and we moved to the the Pyrenees. We used to go there almost every winter, and um, yeah, the memories of the mountains just is for me the first memories i have is more the winter time like kind of christmas time and um yeah it is it, is great memories there it's more the Alps. these first memories in mm. this area is actually yeah i, I really love the the, the haute savoie is uh yeah is amazing there i would love to spend more time in this area the cycling podcast is supported by science in sport Science in Sport.
fueled by science. And of course, your mother as well was a very successful cyclist um, as well. Your parents, both Russian, um, Pavel. You've talked a lot about, well, we'll come on later maybe to um, talk about, you know, how last year you officially changed nationality as a cyclist. You already had um, French citizenship anyway. But um, just growing up, that dual identity, I suppose, with speaking Russian at home, and but having grown up in France and feeling French, um, did w- did you feel different from your peers? Um, was it or was it something you were proud of? Was it something that you, you know was was a kind of a point, a topic of conversation among your peers at school? Or how do you remember that that sense of kind of having maybe a, a bit of a split identity when you were younger? I never felt really different. I think um, I've integrated really well. Uh, like with my French peers, you know, I never felt like different from them. I don't know how I, I kind of, I always felt I was, but in the same time, not really, because I never had like, you know, I never experienced any remarks or bullying that I was not French, but um, yeah, like you say, at home, I was always speaking Russian. Also, one thing that I, I, I remember well is that like my mom, my parents, they always told me like, you know, if you want to, if you want to succeed, like, because we are in France, we're living in France, you need to be better than, or in school or in sports, you need to be better than the French because you're not French and you have to, to, you know, to perform better, to study better, because like, you know, if it's going to come, if they, they want to choose, like pick you or another guy, maybe if, even if the guy's a bit like not at your level, they, they, they might choose him. It helped me in some way, but also, you know, some sometimes you, you can put, a bit of pressure on me, but I never felt completely different. I think I adapted really well. And because I think also I was one really when I arrived in France, it's kind of different, you know, when you, you go to, to all the scholarship, like from, from the first classes until, until the end in France is, is kind of different. The only difference was really that at home we would always speak Russian, you know, some, some families, I think they choose to, between the kids, especially, I have a younger sister, and even with her, we always we always speak uh, speak Russian between between us. You know, we could have gone and spoken French, but somehow it it always stayed um, some of that Russian connection. Um, I think when the maybe the, where I felt a bit different it started when I started to to perform um, well in cycling. Uh, I remember one regional championship i don't remember if i was disqualified or something but they basically i won the race and then they told me oh you you cannot you cannot win because you're you're not french you're russian and that's where I, from this moment i kind of you know started to feel a bit different because i was not allowed to to race like the interregional championships race obviously the, the french nationals i remember even one time going to watch it was in albi which is not too far from uh, for, for from where i'm from you know it's like it's 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 big for 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 all of us like all the young guys is uh, something you know you like kind of kind of dream about reading also the velo magazine you all, you have the rankings of the juniors in there and you know uh, i'm like i wish i i could have done these races maybe i could have done yeah i could have been in these rankings up there and um yeah it's 
it's and it's not until I was 18 that I was able to, to get the, the citizenship. So that's why I kind of started racing for the, the Russian national team, you know. Of course, if I had the choice uh, and if I would have get, gotten citizenship, maybe my career path would have been different, you know. I cannot blame anyone because it's kind of the rules, you know. You, you cannot regret anything because the path would have been different. I don't know where I would have ended up and all that kind of stuff. You would occasionally go back to Russia for various reasons, as I understand it, um, including to race uh, when you were a teen- when you became successful. You, uh, you did some national championships and so on and so forth. But uh, generally speaking, um, how how often would you go back to Russia and what did you think of Russia um, when you would go? What, what were the things that most struck you? Uh, what were the main differences with France that you saw when you first used to go? Yeah, I, I once, like, you know, it was more like qualifying races because I wanted to race the international races. I always needed to go to do some national, uh, like nationals or something else to, to qualify for it. But yeah, the first time I went, I remember as a child, it was it was a really strange feeling, actually. Uh, you know, you, you arrive there, it's, it's a bit of a, of a different, not a different world, but yeah, kind of, you know, it's like, all the yeah just the architecture uh the roads everything yeah it, it felt completely different from what what i knew also the people are different i think um yeah not not more aggressive but harder culture i don't know I've, obviously it has a lot to do with uh, with the history of the country maybe you know also the the cli- the climate there the the how the the conditions the the people live in straight to the point yeah that, I think that's that's a big difference there and um, you know like sometimes maybe for for people Russian can might seem a bit yeah kind of maybe even disrespectful but yeah it's just part of uh, of how how they are but yeah it was definitely a weird feeling for me to go there and as always like I, with everything you know you go a second time you, you see it definitely and. And another time again, you know, it's like um, you understand the people, uh, you understand how how they behave, how they work, and it seems normal to you. And I think with a lot of cultures, is is the same. I really like to understand the cultural parts of of everyone, you know, and it's also something I, I'm quite good at, you know, um, and I can adapt to different environments pretty quick because I get the culture. Like quite fast, you know, even like, let's say when I joined Ineos, I got the, like the British culture, I understand why they would do this or that, you, you know, like just small details about even food, even uh, something they like. And this is, this is something I really enjoy to, to pick, you know, from, from different people. One of the reasons that you didn't, I think, take on the French citizenship or sooner was that you did want to run, do the Olympics um, in Tokyo and it was going to be complicated to go through the whole process in time to become French. How was that experience, the Olympics in general? Um, because one thing that strikes me about Russia and cycling, for example, is if we take the media interest... I, in all of my time covering the Tour de France, I've never seen a Russian journalist, for example, at uh, the Tour de France. Just talk a bit about, yeah, representing Russia at, at that Olympics. And that was effectively your last, your, your last major sort of competitive outing as a Russian athlete. Yeah, I, I mean, it wasn't even uh, representing Russia there because we were on the neutral banner. So for me, it was more 
was not even about representing Russia. I wanted to go to the Olympics, as you said, and um, I wanted to experience the Olympics. But to be honest, I was uh, I was actually thinking about about this not so long ago, chatting with a with a, a swanier giving master we chatting about the Olympics, and and uh, it didn't feel like olympics it felt like this tokyo olympics because of uh, of the covid it felt like another world championships or something it didn't feel special uh honestly like i, I went there but it, it, it like i can say i'm an olympian but i don't feel like it because it's been so strange i i di- i didn't even see the the olympic village uh the only thing i saw is a hotel and the, the mount fuji it, honestly like the we were lucky because the surroundings, they were like where we were able to ride. It was definitely a place I would like to go back. It's really beautiful, and yeah, I've never been in Japan, and also I didn't experience Japan really. I, I couldn't see anything. That's why, for me, I, I really want to go try and make another um, selection in the Olympics. And you know, now it's it's gonna feel even more special because, as you said, like I'm. I grew up in France and as, yeah, I was representing Russia, but I've never, I've never been, you know, it's not like patriotic or anything with it, you know, it's, it's more like by, uh, like I said, you know, if I would have the choice when I was younger, I would have, of course, done the French nationals and all that. And uh, for sure now, you know, if I can represent France in the Olympics, it, it would be something super special. And yeah, I think there is still time to do that if it's next year or uh, in five years. Uh, but yeah, I would really love to experience all the, um, let's say, not circus, yeah, kind of the, the big, big circus of the Olympics around, you know, to, to, to meet all the these uh, amazing athletes from other sports uh, that you can see, you know, around there, you know, like it's just something... Yeah, it's the only event, sporting event, where you can do that, you know. Mm. Um, so, yeah, that's something that I would like to, to achieve when I retire. And just to sort of conclude this part of the discussion about nationality, identity, um, you finally, so in 2022, um, obviously the, the conflicts um, in Russia or in Ukraine broke out and then the UCI made it, that they kind of made it slightly easier to change nationality more quickly. Um, and then this resulted in you becoming French. And the, you told some a nice sort of anecdotes about the well, your first appearance for France in Wollongong and, and how nervous you were um, because you were going to have to appear at the press conference. The whole team was going to give a press conference. Actually, you know, as I said, to your relief, it all felt fine and comfortable and i think you really enjoyed that experience in australia and wollongong but and pavel how much has um has it changed much for you um in the last 18 months changing nationality um because you know statistically your results which we'll come on to in a minute um your results have probably been better in the last 12 months or so than any other time in your career um but has it changed much for you I mean, on a day-to-day basis, maybe it didn't change much. Like you say, Wollongong was an amazing experience. I was actually surprised to get selected so fast. Uh, I've done some some good results that season, so I, I was really, yeah, super super happy to see that uh, Thomas called me and 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 selected me for Wollongong. It was an amazing experience for me uh, being there. I really like, yeah, one of the best like. I had in recent years, like just going something completely new, you know, 
And yeah, the, the also, you know, I was also worried maybe some of the staff will look at me kind of differently, you know, uh, but actually everyone was, was amazing and, and it was super good. But otherwise on a day-to-day -day basis, I think it didn't change much because at the end of the day, I didn't change as a person. I'm still the same guy, you know, um, people who knew me, they, they, they knew, they didn't change they, their view about me. You know, it's, it's actually kind of, nice to to see that nothing changed because you know uh, yeah if some people like to follow my career or if i had some fans or e even the, in the press you know because yeah it's just for the person i am and not just the nationality you know i had obviously i think the people that knew me they knew that i was french i grew up there and i was not not russian uh, as they they, they they might think because of my flag and I haven't really detour from the moment I've changed nationality and this is something I really want to do. And I want to see if, you know, there is a difference. Um, obviously, I think near my house, it won't be any different because still people will see me the same. But yeah, really, that's that's now what, what I want to do. I really want to ride a tour, you know, and yeah, uh, as a Frenchman, I think he's going to be now like officially a Frenchman because I remember when in 2020, when I did the tour, when we passed on the roads, I used to, to go out when I was like 12, 13, just started cycling. I was really emotional. It was so, really something special because this is, some, this is like a dream coming true. In that regard, I don't think it's going to be any more special, but yeah, in general, maybe I will feel the tour differently. Um, so yeah, um, hopefully next year, be there and uh, experience it statistically really your last year has been the most successful of your career but first of all i was i was curious to just see if that's how you see it as well um that 2023 although you did have some setbacks um which we'll maybe come on to in a minute um if we look at the bare numbers it was your best year ever did, did it feel like it I do think so. I do think it was my best year ever because my consistency was the best I've, I've ever had. I was on really competitive level from the start to the finish, to the end of the season. And, you know, that, that, that was something, yeah, I really want to do. Yeah, just be, be there consistent up there every race. And, um, yeah, luckily I had some, some great success at the end, on the back end of the season, you know, I had some, Bad luck with COVID again at the Giro. Uh, that was obviously, yeah, we started as a team the Giro so well. And yeah, we all know what happened um, uh, later on. But um, yeah, it's been it's been a great year. Really, I really enjoyed the, the last year. Also as a rider, not even in terms of result, I think I grew like mentally. Uh, I knew, like I really understood myself better, how to, to approach each goal, how to to do everything in a smoother way. And um, yeah, I do think I'm still progressing and I hope to do it again next next season to still, still, still yeah, progress. Pavel, maybe because of a lot of the success you had, particularly in your last year as an amateur, people, I think they still think of you as a Grand Tour rider and they still maybe measure you always in terms of Grand Tours, even though you've had some great results in one day races, particularly while you showed that at the end of last season particularly in the Italian one-day races you won in Toscana and you've done, you know, you finished second in Montreal and, and a lot of um, good results in one-day um, races. But just looking at your your Grand Tour career, as I say, because people will sort of define you as a Grand Tour rider, you have had a lot of setbacks. You've had a lot of COVID 
Um, you've had a couple of um, grand tours that have been affected by COVID and you've had a few crashes as well. And of course, we've, through your audio diaries, we've often had, you know, really good insight into what's been going on with you at Grand Tours and I was just listening back to a few of them before our conversation today and listening to you talk about crashes as well and I was reminded that in 2021 so after your um, uh, crash that put you out of the Giro early on stage five you talked about losing a bit of confidence and losing a bit of confidence in descending maybe you lost confidence in other ways as well talk to me a bit about that and how much of a journey it's been over the last couple of years to build your confidence and regain confidence we've spoken about this once or twice I mean I think I've maybe put it to you before that if I speak to people who know you, they say that maybe you're someone who has had a tendency to overthink things or to, you know, whose confidence hasn't matched their ability at times. Sometimes you have suffered from self-doubt. But yeah, talk to us a bit about the sort of journey you've been on in the last couple of years with your sort of confidence. Self-doubt was definitely definitely something I still work on. Uh, this is something that, that has been with me, yeah, quite a lot. And especially, you know, uh, like I had like, let's say 2019 was a great year. Uh, I was like second year pro. I, I had a lot of success and you want to repeat that the year after and maybe something doesn't go wrong. And that's where maybe, you know, I started to doubt myself quite a lot and I started to stress and you know, that can also cause some, some crashes. Yeah. Just because of that nervousness, you want to be in this position, like you want to be there and you, you stress a little bit more and it's definitely something I've been working on and still working on, you know, just to try and be more relaxed, more adapt to to situations better, to, to go like with the flow more. Um, and maybe it's also part of why this last season I was more consistent uh, because I, I'm, I'm doing like, yeah, I've done pretty good work with that. Obviously, I also train my skills on the bike, like, getting some descending uh, coaching. Tell me a bit about the well, the work you say you've been doing on it, what kind of work, and also that well, that descending coaching, for example. Yeah, I mean, I've been questioning myself. I've been thinking, like, I don't know, I can't speak for other guys, but this is something I've been struggling in my career, you know, like just overthinking stuff and maybe taking everything too seriously, you know, like when you, you're a bit, you want to to always be at the top and always do things perfectly right. But it's something that's not possible because in life and in, in as, as an athlete stuff go, yeah, never go as you want it to go and you, you have to adapt. And On your own or getting help? Yeah, getting help from specialists as well. Uh, this year I also worked with, um, on the back end with a mental coach uh, working you know, just a bit um, on that side, you know, on the, um, actually on the confidence side, this is something I think I like the most, um, um, let's be honest. And I think now it's coming and that's why, uh, yeah, as I said, I, I'm, it's coming slowly and uh, I'm confident also for next season that it's going to be even better. And um, yeah, it's, uh, I think it's maybe part, you know, like, you know, that perf- extreme perfectionism is something that helped me on the on an early stage of um, of my career, you know, to get some success faster because I kind of 
needed to be there, needed to do that. And you, you kind of push, push, push all the time. But at some point this, yeah, you're just there on the top and at some point you just crack and, and that's where maybe you have to, 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 to find another way to think about, um, about life in general, about sports, that, um, it's not just because you, you, let's say you've done a bad race that you're a bad rider. That's how I would see it. You know, I wouldn't, I would be like, okay, I had a bad result today. That means I'm a bad rider. And if I'm not, if I, if I didn't perform, if I didn't finish, like, I don't know, at least top 10 or whatever, you're a bad rider. And this is not the case. You know, if I crashed, I'm a bad rider, you know, it was like this, it was kind of a spiral, you know, I would crash and then doubt myself even more, but now it's not the case. Um, Obviously, you know, like some details, as I said, working maybe with a specialist on the descending, of course, is going to improve my skills, but also mentally, I'm going to be like, okay, I know how to do that. And I'm, I'm good at, I'm not bad at this. And, um, I do think I'm, I'm not the person who is going to take the most risk because that's, that's who I am. I'm not going to risk my life in a downhill. Uh, and I don't want to change that because I don't want to do it, but I'm definitely, you know, this, this confidence is, I think maybe key thing, uh, that, that I miss and I'm confident that I will, I will, I will have it really soon because as you said, you know, my Grand Tour career, you know, people think of me as a Grand Tour rider and I also want to, to have a clean run as a Grand Tour rider, like in a, in some Grand Tour, because the only time I did really in 2019, I was young and I finished top 10 and I do think I have the the potential to do more and i think i think uh i had a really successful amateur years as you say turned pro but my progression maybe in the professional world um has been quite quick in the beginning and then kind of more gradual steady and i i know i have more to give and actually i think you know changing environment is what i needed I feel like it's a fresh new start now. And yeah, it's just, uh, it's just kind, kind of something really exciting for me because I think sometimes when people know you too well, like you said, they know, they know maybe the Pavel from 2019, 2018, but I've developed, I changed, I see stuff like differently. I'm maybe now more confident and um, this is something you know, when you come to a new team, they, they see you the person you are today and they don't think about about how you were like six years ago. And I think that that's what I needed as well. Paradoxically, does some confidence, can confidence in your case come from letting go a little bit? What you said there about the perfectionism and letting go of some of that. And maybe, maybe in your case, I don't know how much you absorbed what people said about your last year as an amateur where you absolutely cleared up you had an amateur season like we'd rarely seen before you won every one of the major stage races the real sort of benchmark stage races did that has that caused you issues at all with your confidence do you think that there was maybe this um, this huge expectation that you were going to do whatever it was win this win that as a professional did that bo- has that bothered you? I think not in the beginning, uh, because I knew I was going into the professional world and it's going to be another story. Uh, but after 2019, I like top 10 the Giro, uh, one tour of Poland, had a really good year. And after that, I think that's where I started to, okay, I'm, I'm here now, I need to do even better. And, you know, I was 
I was young, maybe not even experienced enough, like to stop myself on some stuff, like maybe train too much, do this too much, because I would push everything to the extreme, you know, and when it's on the extreme, it doesn't, you don't, you just need a little thing to go wrong and then just collapses under you. Mentally, I was too, I was asking myself too much, like I was putting definitely too much pressure on myself. Yeah, letting go is definitely something that 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 helped me for sure is this something you've heard from people around you as well consistently over your pro career that you do put too much pressure on yourself and is that, is that the message that they've been giving you a lot of the time um, that you need to let go a bit yeah definitely definitely but then it's something hard to um to put in places i think when you you put pressure because you you're kind of thinking yeah but i've maybe won this race i was putting pressure on myself like this is this is how it works i need to I need to do this to win, you know, I need to be like, I need to push to push these watts to do this, 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 uh, you know. But at the end of the day, the, like you say, if you let it go, you just, you just do your best. And you know that, like, if you just do your best, like at the end of the day, you, you cannot do more than, than your best. So um, it's something, you know, I was all the time maybe chasing something not kind of realistic and then you see some younger guys performing and you're like I, I'm, am I'm amongst them you know I'm, I'm as good as them and maybe then you have a crush and but I always I kind of never gave up that was the, the, the good thing you know I always found a way to keep going yeah that's why I still perform here or there but I always missed you know that top end and I think that's where maybe a lot, of neg- a lot of energy was going into the wrong wrong thing. Those really good results you've had in one-day races, um, do you think that maybe um, it's, if you are, if you do tend to get stressed and tend to put too much pressure on yourself, then one-day races are maybe a little bit easier because over the course of a stage race, that if you are feeling some tension and some anxiety, that will probably accumulate over the days. Um, I can imagine it would accumulate and it can build and there's no outlet. Whereas a one day race, what we're seeing is is more of a rider's kind of natural ability. They show up, they can either do it or they can't, but there isn't that, you know, t- stress tension feeds on, well, it, it, it feeds itself over time, doesn't it? Over days or months or years sometimes. As I said, I think this year I've made a huge step towards the, like I haven't been that much, stress on races you know i uh, it's a pity i i couldn't finish the euro but i think i was quite relaxed to be honest and going well as well we had an amazing group i think that also helped on the one day race is definitely different in a way it's kind of also could be also more stressful because it's like a one shot you know on the stage races you have on especially on the grand tour you can have 21 days where like, let's say one day you're maybe not 100%, but then you can back it up the day after. And a one day race is like a one shot race and uh, you, you have it or you don't. And no, I think it's just like, like you say, I just, this year I let it go, you know, I just worked hard, um, did my best and I was less stressed about the outcome and more focused on on what I needed to do to be at my best. And I think it worked out well. Uh, And I've been actually confident at the end of the season. You know, I've done a super good preparation in the summer, preparing the Vuelta, 
we all know that I didn't go, unfortunately. But I, I understand also the reasons why. And at the end, it gave me another chance to perform on one day races. But I knew, I knew I was ready. I knew I'd done all the hard work, and it was probably one of my best levels ever. And that's why, yeah, I, I knew I, I would, I would get something out of the that last part of the season, and and I did. Thinking about where you'll be riding in 2024 and the decision to leave Ineos, what was Sky when you joined them? This is, um, well, it's your seventh year as a pro. So you're kind of in middle age, really, as a professional cyclist, if, I, um, if you forgive that expression. But uh, talk to me a bit about that decision and the pitch that, I guess it was Mauro Gianetti made to you um, and, and why that seemed appealing. I mean, obviously, he's one of the top teams now. Um they won the, the UCI World Ranking. Of course, it's not a reason to join a team. Like, it's one of them. When you, when you, when the team is at the top, it, there, there, is, there is a reason why. Um, and all the riders perform. It's not only Tade who scores all the points, you know, or like who is doing everything for the team. A lot of riders are, are up there. And um, of course, in, in the first place, I was like, when, when I got contacted by UAE, I was... Um, I was thinking, what oh, there is, there is a lot of a lot of leaders in there. Like, uh, will I have will I have my 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 own space, my my personal? Could, will I be able to to yeah fulfill my ambitions? And um, that's when I I had a, a chat with uh, with Mauro, and then I also start watching closely how they race, and you can see that they actually give um, chances to, to a lot of riders, you know. Um, although there is Tade, and when Tade is on the race, he's the man, and there is a reason why he's the man. He's the why one of the, the best riders in the world, so uh, if not the best. So, um, yeah, obviously, you know, let's say um, I will be on the race with him, it would be uh, to support him, but this is something I would love to do, and then I would also have... A lot of um, opportunities myself, and we actually already chatted about um, the race calendar, and um, it's really exciting because I never, never really had like in December, um, you know, like kind of clear goals and on big races that I would love to 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 lead a team, you know, and try and go for myself, really prepare hundred percent. So what are they? You can tell us already. World exclusive. It sounds, <laughs> it sounds like you already have your program. I, I don't know if I can really say yet, but um, yeah, or well, like in the start of the season, let's say a race like Paris normally I'll, I'll, I'll be going there and um, I'm not sure who, who else yet, but you know, going maybe fighting for JC in Paris starting, yeah, hopefully start the season in Valencia. Uh, yeah, the rest I will, I'll let the team confirm 100% the calendar, but that's that's hopefully where I would start. I think also, you know, having having a lot of good riders is always always good as long as you, you get your chance. You know, I can I could be maybe leader in some other teams with a lower level, but of riders in general, like you know, in UAEs of course a lot of yeah, big names. But um yeah, I like the the approach they have for for like um giving a lot of riders their, their own chances and and yeah, that's that's why I joined. Really, um, it sounds like from what you've said already, it sounds like um, riding the Tour de France, the opportunity to ride the Tour de France was a, a priority for you. Yeah, it was one of the conditions. 
yeah, normally if everything goes well, I will also be at the tour next year. And it was one of the conditions for me to join uh, a team. I really wanted to ride the tour, as I said prior to that. And, um, you know, I'm now I'm going to be turning uh, 27 next year and I've only ridden one Tour de France. And I really want to, to do more of them because uh, this is this is really the race. Like I told you, my first memories of cycling is on the Tour. It's really the race that makes me, me dream about is, you know, for me, it's the biggest race um, in cycling. That's where where I want to to enjoy it. Like, yeah, it's just something special on, on this race that just even watching it on, on TV for me is is different to, to any other other ones. I, will, I was also looking for a team that would let me do it. And in UAE, that is the case. So, yeah, I'm really excited about it before we started recording i promised you we wouldn't spend too much time um digging any further into issues that may or may not be in EOS. we've talked a lot about it uh, over the last few weeks on the podcast i will just ask you your sort of um, parting thoughts on Ineos on the team that you obviously joined um six years ago or seven years ago um as a neopro just i just keen to hear from you over whether you you think it, it changed a lot in that time positive ways in which it might have changed or maybe maybe i'll let you um i'll let you tell tell us about any slight negatives that you might have seen in that time it definitely went through some phases when i joined the team uh it already like it changed its sponsor by the time like i joined and i left it was team sky you know it was the um, the, the biggest years of um, of uh, Froome. Um, obviously, you know, when I joined the team, Sky were in a streak of winning the tour. Uh, it was the um, the team that would win the tour every year, and uh, they carried that uh, for a couple more years with the G and Egan. After COVID, maybe it changed a little bit. I think the identity of the team was a long time, you know, winning the tour. When it started to be maybe a little bit harder to do that, it, it was kind of looking for someone to do it and we struggled with it. Uh, on a structural plan, I think the team was always kind of the same. It always functioned the same. But I think because it was centered about the tour all these years and when we stopped winning the tour, Maybe it felt like, you know, we didn't succeed in a season when we didn't, we didn't win just this one race. Although we had exceptional seasons, you know, if you think Teo won the Giro, then Egan won the Giro. Podiums in Grand Tours every year, GE was podium in a Grand Tour. But I think because it was so centered about this win, and which I understand, you know, is like, let's say now for Jumbo, they achieved the 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 top if they don't repeat it is always going to be worse and when you don't win the tour is always going to be worse and it's kind of hard to to bounce back when you when you don't do so and i think i suppose that if that narrative is in the wider world is in the media and social media then the riders even unconsciously or subconsciously they maybe absorb some of that they know that people expect more even if people don't have any right to expect more because they're still performing well. Exactly, you know, but at the end of the day, the riders were always doing always doing their best and I think we always perform well. And But then, yeah, there is 
there has been like kind of a change of um, riders as well with the recruitment of a lot more younger riders the past two years. Um, we lost also older riders and big names like Adam, Dylan, uh, Carapaz, Richie Porch retired. A lot of young riders came in. It changes a little bit, you know, inside the team. Uh, I think they were more, maybe more looking into the future and yeah, also generation changes and... Of course, the team also, myself, I grew in, in the team and maybe at the moment, you know, it's kind of looking for a new identity. And I think um, it's actually what what they need to do now, maybe kind of, you know, get rid of, of that old Team Sky identity and really search a new one that they could, because they've got the riders, they've got the... Um, the support, the staff, everything, all that's around is, is there and is at the top level. But maybe now, you know, find this new identity where the team can can thrive and succeed. And that was, that's maybe just a little bit that they need to do, you know, because, yeah, you, you cannot stay the same for years and years and years. You have to do something new. And then also, like Theo was saying in his 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 chat with you like you know the support from the team is is always is always top and yeah i think it's just maybe a bit um losing that um that identity because um yeah the older generation is kind of like g you know he's he's like he's still there but he's not gonna last for five more years you know and um maybe finding this new yeah new things to approach stuff would be would be would be what they what they need it was yeah it was like kind of i felt a research of that in the past few years and hopefully they, they, they can they can achieve it soon and yeah be yeah because it's, it's like as i said it was never terrible seasons you know it's always been like even this year we we were, oh, yeah, in the Giro, we almost, yeah, yeah, that last day, you know, G lost to Giro, but yeah, it's been, it's been a good one. And even the tour for me was, honestly, when I saw like the results at the end of the tour, how they did, it was, was a success, like stage wins, Carlos up there in GC and, but it's been just the, the feeling I had like that, that maybe, you know, like I said, not winning the tour is hard and you always try to do everything for that, but which is understandable. It's a bit like your, as, as I was saying, with your um, all-conquering last amateur career, um, it's very difficult to, well, one could say the only way is down from there um, in terms of where, where, people's, where people's expectations are. No, it's true, it's true. It's like I said now, like we, we, we jumble, like everything... Like, unless they repeat that, it's always going to be worse. You know, it's, it's hard to, to keep that consistency. And I think the team with Sky, they, they've done it for for a really long time, for a really long streak. And um, it's been yeah, it's been amazing to see. And um, I think being being part of that is, is been, it's been an amazing journey for me. When I joined the team, it's always, yeah, it was a, a child dream. You know, when you join the team, there is, it was Frumigi, Kiato. Uh, yeah, it's like a team of superstars that you join and and all the journey, journey all the people I got to know in the team um, is definitely a privilege. And yeah, working yeah with amazing people, getting to know amazing people and 
obviously I'm, I'm going to miss a lot of them as well. Yeah, the team has always been, I think, really good at getting a good group of people together. Yeah, it's definitely strange now changing all this. But as I said, I think um, this is what I need to to progress, uh, like not even just to progress, just to yeah to see something new as a rider. If I don't do it now, then I think it's going to be too late. But yeah, definitely it's been it's been an amazing journey for me. And yeah, I'm super grateful for all I got to, to know, all I got to, to learn. And yeah, as I said, I'll miss a lot of people there. Well, Pavel, I think that is um, about time up for us. I think we've outstayed our welcome with you at your, um, well, virtually. And um, well, when we started this podcast, when we started about an hour or so ago, I'm not sure, I uh, wasn't sure we would get this far because your dog was very keen to, well, certainly get in on the action. Um, but he's quite, he, I think, has quietened down. And um, yeah, he's yeah, us, yeah. yeah, he's let us talk in peace. Um, but Pavel, thank you very much for your time. And well, we, we hope to renew our association, collaboration, partnership with you at the Grand Tours. Maybe, who knows, at the Tour de France. Hopefully at the Tour de France in 2024 when you'll be with UAE, your new team. And um, well, in the meantime, I hope you're going to have a fantastic Christmas. Any plans, Pavel, for Christmas? Yeah, I'm going to go uh, back in the Pyrenees at home uh, for Christmas. And then um, after that, back in Andorra for New Year's. So yeah, just just with the family, easy. Pavel, thanks once again and Merry Christmas. Thank you, Merry Christmas. The Cycling Podcast was created in 2013 by Richard Moore, Daniel Freed and Lionel Burney.